Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Hallelujah. How many of you have been, you've been finding the studies quite interesting along the lines of the Old Testament? Have you been finding it interesting? Interesting or boring? Which, which of them? You don't, want, you don't want God to catch you saying it's boring, right? But have it, has it really been interesting? Has it stretched your mind a bit? Right? Has it made the Bible more more engaging for you. Uh, so I, I'm going to, I mean, we can, we, can, we can teach on this all year long. But I'm going to wrap up, just summarize it tonight. And uh, maybe some other time if the Lord gives us the liberty and the direction, we will continue from here. But I, I, I'm finding it quite interesting. So, and I'm glad you are also. Let's pray. Let's get into the word. Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive. And together, faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. I pray that light and understanding will come forth in and through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. So we've been talking about the seeing Christ in the Old Testament, Old Testament scriptures. And essentially, we're trying to see, by the word of God, the centrality of the scriptures. What is the central theme of the scriptures? Alright? There is the center that the scripture is built around. And that center is Christ. So I'll say a few statements and then we'll start looking into the scriptures. But but this evening, we want to center around what I call identifying Christ as the seed in the Old Testament. So we want to pick Christ as the seed in the Old Testament. And in my notes, I wrote, the New Testament never changes. The meaning of the Old Testament. The New Testament never changes the meaning of the Old Testament text. One inspired text may refer to or explain another, but it never alters the truth. What that means is that the Old Test, the New Testament does not contradict the Old, the Old Testament. The Testaments do not contradict each other. Okay? Let me give you an example that you can... uh, uh, I I don't know if it's a a fitting example. I'm not so much of an IT person. But uh, if there is an old version of a phone, right? And a new upgrade comes up, right? The the new upgrade, according to the word, should be a better version of the old one. Right? Right? It doesn't, it doesn't contradict it, does it? No, it doesn't, 
It doesn't mean entirely the old is, is done away with. Because if the old wasn't there, there will be nothing to upgrade. Right? So the, the new upgrade, point, the old software points to the new upgrade. So let's say there is an iOS 12.2. And then the manufacturer comes up and say, we've produced iOS 12.8. 12.2 is good, but 12.8 is better. But 12.2 points to 12.8. 12.8 gives you clarity to 12.2 or gives you better font size to 12.2 gives you better picture to 12.2 right so that's what it is the, the old testament points to the new testament and the new testament explains the old testament so if the Old Testament is not there, you cannot have the New Testament. So we, we shouldn't treat the Old Testament like, oh, it's just Old Testament, oh, it's just Old Testament. No, it's, it, it's part of scriptures. Praise God. Are you still here? The Old Testament is not primarily a book about ancient history or culture. Do you might find a lot of that in? Though it contains many things that are historical and that describe ancient cultures, Centrally, the Old Testament is a book about Christ. And more specifically, about his sufferings and the glories that we follow. That is, it is a book about the promise of a coming Messiah through whose sufferings God will establish his eternal kingdom. So the Old Testament is... A book about the sufferings of Christ, the glories that we follow, like Luke said, and the promise of the coming Messiah. So, the Old Testament helps us to identify the Messiah. And so, when they read the scriptures, that was what they were looking for. Alright? When they read the scriptures, that's the central theme that they were looking for. Now, I want you to look at this verse of scripture very well. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. And I want to show you something from there. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. In Second Peter 1, 20, the Bible says, But know this first of all. First of all. Know this first of all. That no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Now, uh, I, I want you to pay attention to this because when you read this, there are two ways that most people interpret this. Okay? They interpret it like you cannot interpret prophecy by yourself. Alright? That's the way quite a number of theologians interpret it. Which is accurate, but more accurate would actually mean we read this verse in its context. Because, pay attention now, there is a comma there, and if there is a comma there, it means that the statement is not finished. 
or the sentence. Am I right? Am I right? If there's a comma there, it's not full stop. So it means that you cannot interpret verse 20 alone. So when it says no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, it wasn't just talking about the fact that you cannot interpret scriptures yourself. There was something Peter was driving at, which is not finished. Uh, when you read the Weymouth New Testament, it says, But above all, remember that no prophecy in scripture. So the Weymouth does not use prophecy of scripture. The Weymouth uses prophecy in scripture. Okay? That no prophecy in scripture will be found to have come from the prophet's own prompting. Somebody say, Pastor, which one is correct? The context will give the meaning. So I don't want you to read verse 21 first. The NET Bible says, above all, you do well if you recognize that no prophecy of scripture ever comes about by the prophet's own imagination. So the subject here, it's the three subjects here that's talked about is prophecy, scripture, and prophets. Those are the three things that are key here. Just follow. Looks like further maths, but just follow. Alright? The New Living Translation says, I think we have that. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. So if you just read the King James and says no scripture of one's private interpretation, the one's private interpretation, there are ones, one, ones, o, ones, zero, <laughs> o, o, n, e, right? I'm looking for o. I don't say zero, n, e. You know, the ones there is not you. You're not the subject of Peter's writing. The subject of Peter's writing is the prophets. So how do we understand this? Remember, in First Peter, he, he had written about the, 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 the sufferings that the angels desire to look into and what the Spirit of Christ in the prophets was indicating. You remember that? Now, go to verse 21. Verse 21 now says, Or, right, go to verse 20. Pay close attention. Just look, look at the board. If you look at the board, you would understand it. Just look at the board, right? But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Let's use the New Living Bible. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. Comma, which means the statement continues. Next verse. Or from human initiative. So can you realize that that one's own private interpretation was not referring to us? It was referring to who? The prophets who prophesied what was written in scriptures. So it tells us that the prophecies that came forth from the prophets in scripture was not their own human idea. So, what that means is that when these prophets prophesied in the Old Testament, they were moved by the Spirit of God to prophesy 
And those prophecies gave indication of the Messiah. So Isaiah didn't just think of a child will be born. It wasn't just a good phrase that Isaiah could use. It says, not those pro- uh, initially, no, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Did you follow that now? So you realize that the prophecies in the Old Testament were God-inspired. So that means the prophecies were indicative of the workings of God all through the Old Testament. So if we study the prophecies, they would give us an indication of what was in the mind of God. Because the prophets spoke as they were moved by God. Are we good with that? Did you follow that? So the Old Testament follows God's one great plan for human history and redemption. And that plan is not only from Him, but centers on Him. His presence in His incarnate Son. Romans 11, 36. Paul uses a phrase there that I like. Romans 11, 36. Romans 11.36 For from him through him and to him are all things. From him through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. That means everything centers around him. Right. Right. Everything centers around him. So the Bible centers around the redemptive story of God. From Genesis to Revelation, you must read the scriptures from the eyes of redemption. That's God's great grand plan. Okay. Paul declares in Galatians 3.16... The seed promised to Abraham was Christ, or is Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 16. Now the promise was spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say unto seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So, now, this is what I want you to do, right? We are reading Paul writing to the Galatians. So let's assume this is Paul here writing to the Galatians. So he has explained the concept of the seed being Christ. Now, remember, we are reading this in the New Testament. Okay? So let's take out the New Testament and go back to the Old Testament and start tracing the seed and see how this seed comes to Christ. Or how the promise comes to Christ. So, the the Messiah or the Redeemer of mankind was going to be a man. Was going to be a man. How do we know that this man from the Old Testament, the emphasis is on genealogy. How do we identify this man? Remember, none of them had an idea of who Jesus was going to be. Are you following this now? So, If I ask you, right, many times I've gone to the airport and 
people to pick me. And that's why I tell people who, who travel a lot, I mean, especially if you're a lady, uh, for guys usually not so much, but if you're a lady, make sure that your makeup is consistent with the pictures they sent to, to the person who is to pick you up because they could, you know, just leave you at the airport if you're more beautiful than the person they intend to pick up, right? Now, most times when I travel to, to a foreign country, they send my picture ahead, okay? And then the man has my name. So I come out from the airport and they've got my name, all right? Maxwell Ogaga. And the guy's got my picture. Why does he have my name? Why, why do you think he has my name? Because I'm the Messiah. No, that's not why. Because I'm the guest speaker, right? Now he's got my name. But do you realize that if, 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 if somebody walks up to this church and says, I'm looking for Maxwell O'Gagger, and Harry stands up, and Harry says, I am he that you're looking for, what do you think the person is going to do? I can't hear you, church. The person will accept. And we go with Harry. You're right. And Harry can actually feel, you know, take the person to my office, sit on my chair. What's going to make, that person is going to feel, and maybe after two hours of counseling and laying hands on the person, right? What's going to happen? The person goes back. What is the person going to tell people when he goes back to town? What is he going to tell his wife he was married? I met Pastor Maxwell. The guy was short. <laughs> he was fair. He's an Igbo man. Right? Is he wrong? Oh, somebody said no. In this church. You don't know your pastor. <laughs> is he wrong? But does he know that he's wrong? Why doesn't he know that he's wrong? Because he doesn't know Maxwell. And they did not give him sufficient proofs to identify Maxwell. So if I now say, well, go to that church and look for Pastor Maxwell. Right? And I send him my picture. And I've got some hair. And I've got twinkle, twinkle white little hairs on my head that separates me from Harry. Because of a few white hairs. Alright? And I'm tall to the glory of God. I'm not, I'm not part of all men have seen and followed short of the glory. Right? I'm tall. Alright? So, <laughs> thank God I'm born again. So, the man comes and Harry says, I'm the pastor. If the man is wise, what will he do? He will check the picture. The picture gives extra evidence to identifying Maxwell. Not just the name. So, the, the culmination of prophecies from Genesis to Malaika gives extra sufficient evidence to the identifying of the Messiah. So, some prophesied about his birth. Some prophesied about his death. Some prophesied about his sufferings. Some prophesied about his betrayal. Some prophesied about his miracles. 
Some prophesied about the fact that he will be so beaten he will not be able to be recognized. Why all these many prophecies about the Messiah? It's to give sufficient proofs so when somebody shows up and say, I am the Messiah, I can check the betrayal. I can check the birth. So, if your mother was not a virgin, oh, oh, you didn't make it. Because the, 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 the Messiah had to be given birth by what? A virgin. Now, if you guys stayed in Thessalonica and not Bethlehem, right? What, how many of you know what the answer is? Not just the signs and wonders. Because every sign that Jesus performed, someone else had done it. So, 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 the signs were never what they had to trust to identify the Messiah. They had to trust the prophecy concerning the Messiah. Are we good? Alright. So, so, the first thing is Genesis 3.15. That's where the trouble started. After Eve had dinner... Went out on a date <laughs> with the serpent. You know, people sometimes always talk about this, like, what did what did Eve eat? Was he apple? Was he pear? Was he mango? Genesis three fifteen. Paul explains it to us, right? That just as the serpent beguiled Eve in where? In her mind. So that scripture explains the old. It was because you were small. You won't understand big guy. They now showed you apple. Woman eats apple and gives to man. That's why we are not wearing clothes. Okay. Now, <laughs> that is the simplest way to explain the fall. But the fall was bigger than that. But the challenge is most of us stay with my book of Bible story pictures even to our old age. We don't mature above that. So we fight See, but it is apple. If it's not apple, it has to be pear. Uh, okay, don't worry. Whatever she eats, she eats. And we're here. So, when God shows up in verse 14, 15, He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. And you shall bruise him on the heel. So, this is the first place that a parabolic, um, a parabolic phrase about the seed shows up. So, okay, now, the seed. Okay, fine, the seed. So, what is this all about? Genesis 9.27 Genesis 9.27 Alright? So, if you go to... Uh, let me pick it from... 26. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So, all the days of Noah were 950 years. Now, when you go back to verse... Uh, chapter... No, let's go back to chapter... 
8. If you go back to chapter 8, it says, But Noah found favor. That word favor was what? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 5 says, And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. So, you realize that God now starts the progression of that covenant with individual men. So, while there was wickedness on the earth, what did Noah found with God? Grace. Now, that grace goes on to a lot of scriptures to read, right? Now, these are the records of generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. So, verse 9, go to verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So, God picks on Cain, Abel, comes to Noah. Go to Genesis chapter 12. If you go to, just pause a bit, Genesis 9, 6 and 7, God gives him the promise and says, As for you, be fruitful, multiply, populate the earth. Uh, you know, the same prophetic word he gave to Adam, he gave to Noah. Now, when you go to Genesis chapter 12, it's a whole lot of reading, we're not going to read it. But when you go to Genesis chapter 12, God begins to promise Abraham about his generation and his children promises him a son. So in Genesis chapter 12, you would find that promise. In Genesis chapter 15, you would find the promise of a, of a son. In Genesis chapter 17, if you read the whole of that chapter, you're going to find that promise. Let's, uh, let's, go to, let's read 17, verse 1. Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you will be the father of multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but you shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you. And what will happen? And kings will come forth from you. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout that generations for what? An everlasting covenant to, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. So God speaks to Abraham about this covenant and God calls it an everlasting covenant. Alright. So we know that the, uh, a man was going to come for the redemption. The man now was going to come through Abraham. Because now the promise is to Abraham. Now we know that Genesis 17 verse 19. Let's read verse 19. But God said to Sarah. No, let's read from verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man and 100 years old? And will Sarah who is 90 years old bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said to him, No. But Sarah your wife will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant. What covenant is this? The everlasting covenant. I will establish my covenant with who? With him for an everlasting covenant for his descendant after him. Now, pay very close attention to this. Many times they say Abraham had two sons. Alright? In CROS, it's true. <laughs> In BK, it's true. Whatever age you went to school, if you went to school in 1972 as BK, it's true. If you went to school in 2000 as CRS, it's true. But in Bible, it's not true. Abraham was the father of Ishmael. Abraham 
is the father of Isaac. Abraham had one child. His only begotten son. Because it was after that name change that Isaac came forth. And God established his covenant with Isaac. So we now find something. A man was going to come for redemption. That man was going to come through the lineage of Abraham. That man, remember now, always use the covenant and the lineage, right? That covenant now is going to come through who? Isaac. So we know that this seed that God promised will not be from Ishmael. So Ishmael is cut off. It will not be from any other family apart from Abraham. Are you following? It will not be from any of the many Abraham's children that will later come. Because you know after his wife died, he married again. Keturah. It will not be Keturah's children. Because God did not promise that everlasting covenant. Now understand something. If God says this covenant is everlasting and the people he's making it with are dying, it shows that the covenant is going to move from one generation to another. Are you here? Alright. So what happens? God makes this covenant with Abraham and says it's Isaac. So we can trace it now, right? Just in your mind, have an imaginary board. Man, Noah, Abraham, Isaac. Okay. So, Genesis 26. Let's watch quickly. Genesis 26, 3 to 4. Genesis 26, 3 to 4. Now there was famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I tell you. So John is this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all this land and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father, what? Abraham. So God is speaking to Isaac. Genesis 49, 10. Isaac had how many kids? How many children did Isaac have? <laughs> you have forgotten. <laughs> you are not sure. Two. Alright. So, Isaac had two kids, right? Who and who? Huh? You know why I'm asking you both now, Isa and Jacob, because I said because some of you are annoying. Maybe Isaac, Isaac. Is Isaac not the father of Naphtali? I know. Some, you see, these things eh, don't forget them. Do you understand? Don't forget them. So the two sons are Jacob and what? And Israel. So the promise goes to who? The, the promise, which is the bed right, goes to Jacob. Let me explain this to you. I've explained it here before. Double portion does not mean double... You say you, the double portion anointing. No. Double portion is for the firstborn. And it is explained in the scripture. Why a double portion is given for the firstborn is that one portion for himself and one for his brothers. So that the firstborn will not suffer and now become the last. You know, some of you, it's only one portion you have. And that's what the whole family, you are even firstborn to your father. Do you understand that? So in those days, two portions are given to you so that you can look after yourself and look after what? So when Elisha asked for the double portion of Elijah, he was not asking for double anointing. He was asking for the right of the firstborn so that he would become the head of the school of the prophets. 
That is why when he came back, the people who were in the school of the prophets, what happened? They bowed to him. They recognized him now as the head. Are you hearing? So when he say, I want double portion, I want the, what you are just saying is, I want more responsibility. I want more responsibility. So be careful. Sometimes it's just good to have your own portion. Alright. So, Genesis 49, verse 10. So we know that this covenant goes to Jacob now. Verse 10 says, the scepter. What is, what is scepter? What, what, what does it signify? Right? Or a staff. Right? A symbol of authority, not just a staff. You can carry a walking stick as staff now you are going. And we know you are not the king of Boni. Do you understand that? When a king is installed, the governor... Do they still do that? Yeah, the governor give them what you call what? The staff of office. That's the scepter. And that, this one in the Old Testament is very important because it's like when Esther went to the, to the, to the king's palace... If he raises, you come in. The kings those days didn't talk much. They had a signet and a scepter. Whatever later is written, if the signet ring goes into it, it's final. So, God is now speaking. Uh, let me, let's go to verse uh, 41. Let's go to verse 41. Sorry. Verse 1, chapter 49. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will be for you in the days to come. So, we now, fo- we now understand that Jacob is prophesying over his children. Now, when he got to Judah, go to verse 10 now. When he got to Judah, <laughs> uh, let, me, let me show you something. I can find it here. Uh, Okay, 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 okay. Let's, let's go to, yeah, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. What does that tell us? The staff of authority will be within Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him... Pay attention to this. Shall be what? The obedience of the peoples. That means, in fact, that word until Shiloh comes in the Hebrew rendering is actually until he comes to whom it belongs. Now, this is very prophetic. It tells us that the rulership and the governorship would be within Judah. So, that narrows down the man we are looking for. He has to be from the tribe of Judah. The, the oath, the covenant, the rulership, the kingship, cannot be from uh, Levi or whatever. has to be from the tribe of Judah. So, it narrows our search. Praise God. Narrows our search. Okay. Now, Go to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. So you know, we're reading this, we're following it as if we don't have the New Testament, right? 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 18. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, 
I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house of my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him, with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house. What house is he talking about? The house of who? David. David. Now. He's talking, he's talking about David now, right? Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all these visions, so Nathan spoke to David. So we now can streamline. This man, king's man, redeemer, who is going to come, will come from the house of David. Hello? Are you following this? We're trying to trace this man now. So we know he's going to come from Judah. From which family in Judah? Because there are many Judas. <laughs> right? It's going to be from David. Even Balaam, although he was doing ministry for money, gave the right prophecy. Because he was inspired to speak. Let's look at his prophecy in Numbers 24 verse 17. Numbers 24, 17. Let's look at his prophecy. Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall cross through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Now, what was he seeing? He wasn't just seeing a natural king who was going to come. He was seeing the redemption of Israel. He was seeing Christ from afar. He says, I see him, but he's not now. I behold him, but he's not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. Alright, this is one of the reasons he couldn't cause Israel. Now, go with me to Malachi chapter 3, the last prophet before Matthew. Malachi chapter 3. Are you following this? It's quite interesting when you go through scriptures like this. Just some book of the Bible... Become relevant. You know, every time you hear Malachi chapter 3, what comes to your mind? Tight. <laughs> but you know, before verse 10, there's verse 1 to 10, right? Alright, so we're in verse 1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. There are two messengers spoken of here. Did you pick pick this prophetic word? Can you identify the two messengers? Okay, can you see from that verse of scripture that there are two messengers? Can you see? 
Read it slowly again. Just read it slowly. Relax. Read it slowly. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. And he will clear the way before me. Can we say that's one messenger? And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant. The would be specific, right? Yeah? What's that in English? Definite article. Am I right? Am I right? So, it's not just saying a messenger. It's saying the messenger. Definite article, the messenger. Here? Are you here? Of the covenant. So, Malachi is prophesying specifically about a messenger, or not a messenger, prophesying about two messengers. The first messenger's role is going to be to do what? To clear the way. So, so now we're looking for two messengers. The last prophetic word before Matthew. We're looking for two messengers now. The first messenger is going to clear the way for the messenger of what? Of the covenant. We know what the covenant is, right? What's the covenant? The covenant he made with Abraham. So if we find out, if I can trace the messenger who clears the way, the messenger who clears the way can help me identify the messenger of the covenant. Did you follow that? So do you see why John had to publicly identify Jesus to Israel? Because the last prophetic words we have before the manifestation of Jesus was the fact that a messenger was going to clear the way for the messenger of the covenant to come. And the Lord whom we seek will come to his temple. So we are identifying two things. Matthew 11. Are you, are you following this? So you see why... Uh, let, me check, let me check something first. If it's correct, I'll tell you to turn there. If it's not correct, we'll go to Matthew 11. Uh, it's correct. Isaiah 40. I didn't write it down, but I remember I studied it. Isaiah 40. Go, go back to Isaiah 40 first. Isaiah 40. Go to verse 3. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now, do, do, you, do you realize why it was important? Now, do you realize, pay attention to this. Do you realize why it was important that John identified himself very well? When they ask, who are you? What did John say about himself? Hey, I didn't hear you, church. What did John say about himself? I am the voice of one crying where? Do, do you realize why John had to do his ministry in the wilderness? It wasn't a good location. But if the prophecies, if all the corresponding evidence about the Messiah was to happen, he couldn't do that cry in the city. Because the voice that would cry and prepare the way for the Lord has to cry from the wilderness. Okay, Matthew. Go to Matthew now. Matthew chapter 11, verse 10. <laughs> you know, uh, Matthew 11, verse 10. You know, someone was asking me, 
after one of the studies, I think part two, he was saying, so pastor, if I read the Old Testament now, how will I understand all these things you have explained? I said, just keep reading. You see, one of the beautiful things is, as you read the scriptures, they are stored in your brain. As you read further scriptures, the Holy Spirit will start doing what? Linking things up. So, if you've never read the book of Isaiah, you might never understand some of the things Jesus said that he was in Isaiah. Okay, well, let's go ahead. Our time is going. Matthew 11, verse 10 now. Matthew 11, 10. Are you there? Uh, can we read from verse 7 very quickly? Saints? Let's read from verse 7. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. About John. So, we're talking about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? So, he was in the wilderness. A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Those who wear soft clothing are in the king's palace. So your dressing shows your location. Soft clothing, king's palace. (laughs) But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Then he says, yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. So we we now find out that something was written about John the Baptist. What was written about him? Jesus quotes Malachi 3.1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Pay close attention and don't miss it. In identifying John, Jesus points to prophecy of the Old Testament. He didn't say, Believe it, I am Jesus. And I'm telling you the truth. He didn't say that. Because you know what? Nobody will believe him. Because some other people had come that they were the Messiahs. Are you following that? So, Jesus, pay attention to this, in identifying John the Baptist, points to the Old Testament. John the Baptist, in identifying Jesus, points to scriptures. Jesus, in identifying himself, does what? Points to the Old Testament. And points to either one of the prophecies spoken about him. Praise God. You know, why, you know why it's difficult for us to identify false prophets today nowadays? Because we don't study the Bible. So anybody can just come and bamboozle us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Just come. Throw his hands. Everybody fall down. Some people who are vomiting. You know, people are saying, man, I got power. See, if he does not have power, who gave him that power? Tell me, who gave him that power? <laughs> Let me explain something to you. Eh? <laughs> I know you have not gone to see a Babalao before, but I'm just thinking. You know when you go and meet all these people, they can tell you everything that's wrong with you. All these native doctors. They can tell you. There's something called the familiar spirit. That demonic people can... You know, Paul went to the winch of Endor and he saw. The realm of the spirit is... I mean, you can see. People who don't even have Christ can see stuff about you. You know, there are people who are not even born again and they have this high revelatory capacity. Their dreams are exact. They can dream everything that will happen and it's exact. Some people are like that. They are like, tomorrow I was, rain fell. Umbrella came and took my eye. Then my friend, go, you joke too much. You are just going. Umbrella will come, hit your eye. <laughs> you do understand that? Some people, their dream, you have to pay attention to their dream. I mean, for some of us, we know the dream that is from God. We know the dream that when we are tired. Do you understand? But for some people, every dream comes to pass. It's just a gift. That's, I mean, it's not something you have to fast and pray for. It's just a gift. So what am I saying? They couldn't just trust miracles to identify the truth. They had to trust the prophetic word. And that's the problem with the church today. People are not taught enough to identify false pastors. 
Jesus said fruits. We say no, forget fruits. Miracles. Have you forgotten that when Moses went to Egypt, every miracle he performed, eh, they called the magicians, true snake. Say, ah, forget. We do snake here. So they called the guys. They threw their snake. The only thing is that Moses' snake now swallowed. You know, when you read that, you you won't be afraid. Imagine they sent you now to go and, and then you throw your... You know, the first time when God told him to try it, he ran from the snake. God now said, pick it. Those of you that are afraid of snake, God, God will not send you to deliver the children of Israel. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that there's what you call lying signs and wonders. Okay? So it says, This is the one whom it is written, Behold, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Okay. Go to Mark 1. Mark 1, 32. 32, yeah. Mark 1, 32. Are you following this? All right. No, 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 no. That's not the scripture I'm looking for. Mark 1, 2, not 32. Mark 1, 2. Let's read from this one. Beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of who? God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. We also know that we read this in Malachi chapter 3, right? Verse 1, alright. And we know that we read this in Isaiah 40, verse 3. So, Jesus, so, so Mark, in authenticating the ministry of John the Baptist, quotes Isaiah and quotes Malachi. It says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we see that John was consistent in this. Alright? Luke 1, quickly. Luke 1, 76. We have a few more stuff to go through. Luke 1, 76. Thank you, Lord. Luke 1, 76, quickly. And your child will be called the prophet of the Most High. So this was, Zech- the, um, no. this was Zechariah's prophetic words, prophesying about John the Baptist. It says, and your child will be called uh, the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. You will go before the Lord. To prepare his way. So this was the prophecy that came to John the Baptist. So we can understand that John the Baptist was the messenger. The first messenger of the covenant. That Malachi was talking about. That Isaiah prophesied about. Praise God. Now go to Luke 7.27. So let me, let me explain something to you right. When we read the New Testament for instance as it is written. Right. What interests us is. Jesus raised someone from the dead. Yeah? Uh, Jesus multiplied food. That's what is fascinating to us. Those are not the things the Jews were looking for. They were looking for what was consistent with what? The scriptures. So when, when John the Baptist says, I'm the voice of one kind in the wilderness, that makes sense for them. For us, that does not make sense. 
If you like crying in the wilderness, if you like crying in the palace, what concerns me is Jesus fed 5,000 people. Food. God will multiply whatever you have today. You know, so when we read the scripture, we are not looking for prophetic fulfillment because we already just know Jesus came to... I, I mean, that's right. For them, they had to be careful about that. So every time they went to the temple, all they did was reading the prophets. Remember, Jesus went to the temple, was reading Isaiah. The eunuch, when he was coming from the feast in Jerusalem, what was he reading? Isaiah. And what did the eunuch ask uh, Philip? He says, is, is this the one we expect of someone to come? Who is, this, who is Isaiah speaking about? Who is he talking about? Because that's all they were looking for. That's all they were longing for. Okay, verse what now? Uh, I said you should turn to 727. Same thing Jesus said, this is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Okay, go to John 1, 6 to 8. John brings clarity from a different perspective. Go to John chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. John chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. Now, look at the distinction of Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 that talks about the messenger that comes first, and then the messenger of the covenant. John brings the distinction by stating very clearly, he was not the light. But he came to testify about what? Did you see that? So we know that John the Baptist was not the messenger of the covenant. He came to tell us about who? The messenger of the covenant. So do you see how John brings it clearly? John says, hey, he was not the light. But he came to testify about what? About the light. Right. Now, we've seen all of this. Why is it important that the genealogy of Jesus was traced? Go with me to Matthew chapter 1. I know most times we don't spend time in reading this. Because, yeah, we just know. But it was important to establish his genealogy. Matthew chapter 1. And verse 1. We're just going to read, okay? Are you here? First one, the record of the genealogy of Jesus. Pay attention to Matthew 1 1. It summarizes all the prophecies and all the scripture we've been reading. What summarizes it? Matthew 1 1. The record of the genealogy of who? Jesus, who? The son of who? The son of who? Did you see that? Abraham first. And then it goes all the way down, all the way down, all the way down to who? To David. So Jesus had to come. So that's why when they addressed him as Jesus, thou son of David, he stood because it was a covenant name. It means those people recognized him for who he is. He wasn't just a good name. It wasn't just a fantastic son name. No, it was a covenant name. Now, let's read. And then, Judah was the father of, he gave birth to all of those people, right? Let's go to 
15. Elud was the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Bab- to Babylon, sorry, to the Messiah, 14 generations. Okay? Go to Luke chapter 3, verse 32. Luke 3, 32. Luke 3, 32. Now, Luke, we're not going to spend time to read all of this, but Luke actually traces Jesus' generation down to Adam. That's the interesting thing about Luke. Maybe because he was a, was a medical doctor, I don't know. But let's look at from verse 32. Luke chapter... Sorry, where am I? Uh, let me see. Luke 3, alright? Verse 23 first. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. Then, Luke starts tracing the genealogy of Jesus. But because of time, let's go quickly to 34. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ruah, the son of Peleg, the son of Heber, the son of Selar, the son of Canaan, the son of Axvazad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So, if you want to trace the genealogy of Jesus, you want to trace it this way. We read it this way now. If you want to read it this way, you read it like the son of Adam, who was the son of God, gave birth to Seth, Seth to Enos, and then you trace it that way. Why were they particular about writing all of this? Because it was important that they were able to trace the genealogy of the Messiah. And if you read all of this, it, goes, it takes us way back to Adam. Way back to um, Abraham. Way back to, you could see all the families that God was peculiar about. Picking the seed until he came to Jesus. So, Jesus, the incarnation of God wasn't just from, uh, God just was looking, looking around, looking around, looking around, looking around. He said, who is a virgin today? He says, Mary, oh yeah, Mary, take. No, it wasn't like that. This thing, for hundreds of years, prophetic words, there, there had to be alignment. Jesus had to be given birth to at a particular place. That's why God had to cause the census to happen so Jesus could go there. Prophecy had come that he will be born in a manger. Couldn't have been born in a house. So you see, everything in the Bible makes meaning. Everything makes meaning. Praise the name of the Lord. Alright. Paul traces this in the New Testament. Galatians 4.4. 4. This is proper Bible study. Right? Is it proper Bible study? It's proper Bible study. This is what it really means to go for Bible study. You know, at some point, you just get tired. Okay, summarize. So, who gave birth to Jesus? <laughs> he said, Judah, fine. Leave it at that. So, when you do that all the time, you, sh- you short-secute your understanding of scriptures. 
There is no study of scriptures that is very pleasant. It's rigorous. Right? And I'll tell you this, right? That's something we lost in Pentecostalism. Because when we read the story of Boaz, for instance, and all of those people, what just comes to our mind is the miracles there. You, you understand what I'm saying? Esther. Esther was, you know, an orphan. But God raised Mordecai and he became the king. I don't care if your father and your mother is dead. You are becoming a king. I say you are becoming a king. I say God will raise Mordecai for you. Before this year is over, your Mordecai will come out. You, I say you will be king. And anybody on your throne, like the wife of Vashti, they will sack them and you will be queen. You say, Amen. Amen. Now you go home and yeah, you know, it's good, it's brilliant, it's exciting, but are you following what I'm saying? After a while, you are not queen, frustration now sets in. Do you understand? So everybody around you, are you look, are you the Mordecai? Are you Mordecai? You are tracing, the way they were tracing the Messiah, you, are, you also are looking for Mordecai. So when you read the Bible, there is no engagement. And that's why... Sometimes people can find Bible study boring because it's all about save us the details. You as pastor, just know it. Tell us the one that will bless us. But that was, that's not the intention of the church. The church actually, just as you go to school to learn, right? The church is designed that when you come, we learn the Bible. That is the purpose. The purpose of the church is to teach you the Bible. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, subjects like this, we should stay in it for months. Six months, we are still tracing Christ from the Old Testament. Spend time in Genesis, one month. Exodus. Do you understand? It will take us years. You will get knowledge of Christ. But let me tell you something. When you start studying the Word of God like this, some of the things you think are your needs will just be met. Because you will start... You, 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 you know, let me, give you, let me give you how a message like this can change your life. You can tell yourself, if God was so detailed that for thousands of years, specific prophetic words from people who didn't know each other, from generation to generation, was so specific about the life of Jesus, your life is too small that God doesn't have a specific plan for it. Oh, your life. If, if God is this detailed about John the Baptist, that his ministry had to be in the wilderness... I tell you, God is detailed about where you stay, about where you are. And years before your emergence, occurrences and events have been set in place to get you to the right location. It gives you confidence. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is how studies like this can, can just boost your faith. Alright, Galatians 4, 4. Let's go. I've turned Pentecostal now. Galatians 4, 4. Praise God forevermore. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Are you still here? Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth what? His son. What happened to the son? Born of what? A woman. Born where? Under the Lord. So, Paul testifies to the fact that the Redeemer in the fullness of time will be a man. Born by what? A woman. And he would be born within the context of what? The law. 
Under the law just means in subjection to the law. So that's why you realize that when Jesus healed some people, he said, go and show yourself to the priest so that that law will be fulfilled. And Jesus couldn't admit people into the society just because it was Jesus. The, 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 the priest had to certify that that person was free of leprosy and be admitted to the society. Praise God. All right. Paul did the tracing of the genealogy, Romans chapter 9. We'll do two more scriptures and then... Thank you, Lord. Romans chapter 9. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Are you still here? Are you enjoying this? Alright, Romans chapter 9. <laughs> you know, quite a number of people listen to us, so... Uh, if you observe, I've stopped saying, are you still here or you're going home? I say it once a time. But how many of you have observed, I've stopped saying that? Yeah, because someone actually asked a question. He said, Pastor, I don't know. You always say this. I really wanted to ask. Is it that your church member start going when you are teaching? So I said, no, it's just a phrase. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Genesis, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 4 to 5. Can we read from verse 1, please? Genesis, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I'm telling the truth in Christ and not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a cost, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Whom are, Israel, whom are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption as sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the temple service, and what? The promises. Whose are the fathers? And from whom is the Christ, or the Messiah, according to the flesh? Who is over all, God blessed what? He says, the Messiah is what? According to the flesh. So one of the things we understand about the Messiah would be his humanity. That he would be human. He would be born of a man. He would come from it. So the Messiah wasn't just going to be spooky, weird guy, just show up from heaven with blazing torches and fire. And Messiah has appeared. No. <laughs> it's going to be of a woman. It's going to be of a natural descent. Are you still here? Alright. So the seed of David and Abraham is a covenant language. And it is the first divinely inspired link between the testaments. So two words that you would pick that links the Old and the New Testament is that phrase, the seed of David or the seed of Abraham. You'd find it a lot. Apostle Paul uses it a lot. And in the Old Testament you'll find that phrase a lot. So that's a linking phrase. Alright, that's a linking phrase. It's not just about genealogy. It's not just about name. It's about a linking phrase. That's a linking phrase. Links the old to the new. Now, let me just show you a, prophet, a prophecy and just give you Micah's prophecy. Uh, we don't read a lot about Micah, but, but I'll, I'll give you that. And then I'll just show you how Micah prophesied in parables and how it's fulfilled in Jesus. And then we can wrap up this story. Praise God. Are you, go to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. And um, we're going to read from verse 2. Now, many times people talk about uh, minor prophets and major prophets. Now, let me, let me say this, right? Uh, um, there is, there is, there's really nothing like major or minor prophets. Okay, people say it, especially when it comes to the, New Te uh, the Old Testament scriptures. 
They, then they, when you say major prophets, then they talk about uh, no, they, they talk about Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel. Then when you say minor prophets, they talk about Nahum, Habakkuk, Micah, Ezra. And the reason they, they qualify it as major and minor is because of the volume of the book that they wrote. So Isaiah wrote quite a lot, a couple of chapters. Um, Ezekiel wrote quite a lot, and Jeremiah wrote quite a lot. But uh, it's not a good theological division. Because the prophets only did what the Lord asked them to do. Okay? Some prophets stayed longer. Some prophesied about national issues. At the time where some prophets were alive, Israel was in captivity and God had to constantly warn them. Sometimes some prophets were risen when they were very disobedient. So, it's more about assignment as opposed to volume of scriptures. Alright? And why I have to say that is because even today, we have those comparisons in our minds. Uh, if a minister has 1,000, 3,000, 40,000, 50,000 people, we always sometimes feel that's major. And if a church is 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, we feel it's minor. We say it's a small church. Yeah, you could use those numbers to compare. But the truth of the matter is that ultimately, it boils down to your assignments. Praise God. It boils down to what? Your assignment. So, uh, we must see the scriptures from that perspective. Now, go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Now, I want you to, to pay attention here. Now, I'm going to do a test, right? Just, just, just throw a test to you. Micah 5, 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to Israel. To return to the sons of Israel. Let's just read four. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. When you read this, does it make any meaning to you? To be honest, I mean, forget about what we've been studying in the past three, past three, what now? Three weeks, three meetings. Just reading this now. Does it make any sense? Okay, what's the sense it makes? Let's start from verse 3. Let's try. Verse 3. What, what do you pick up from verse 3? It says, verse 2, sorry. Verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, a prophet, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. What, what comes to your mind from this place of scriptures? Where Jesus would, where Jesus would be born, right? Okay. Okay. Where Jesus would be born. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. Okay. So we understand, we're seeing, three, we're seeing two things there, right? We're seeing Bethlehem, we're seeing Judah. And then we're seeing what? To be a ruler in Israel. So the first thing is that a ruler 
or a king is going to come out of Bethlehem. Right? You are correct. Just say yes. A ruler is going to come out from what? It's easy to pick. As for Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth. For me to be the ruler in Israel. So a king is going to come out from the tribe of Judah, Bethlehem. You can find our lineage. This is where you now need to think very What does the second line mean? His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. What does that mean? How many of you did literature? You did literature in school? I have more engineers than literary students. But you know how poems are written? Right? How many of you did literature? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you a literature question. Trust me. But how many of you did a bit of literature in school? Right? You understand when they say read a poem? And you know if, you, if, you are, if I'm writing a poem, right? Uh, how many of you read Shakespeare? Macbeth. Shakespeare Macbeth. All of you engineers. Now, even, <laughs> even art students now are now engineering. But, you know, when you read all of that, you know their language and their meaning. You have to study the poem to get what? So, what, what do you think Michael was talking about here when he says, so we have identified, we've identified, which is correct, that he was talking about the king, Jesus, right? Will come from Bethlehem. He will be the ruler in Israel. What does he mean when he says he's going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity? What, what do you think he means? What do you think he means? Do you want to try another translation? Let's try. Let's try NIV. What, let's just see if it will help us. Did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see? Go, go to the New American Standard Bible. Go to NSB. Let me, I just want to show you. This is classwork. Alright? So just follow me. Did you see when it says, But as from you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Right? That can be a bit confusing when you read it. Right? So check the NIV. It makes that plain. Right? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel. So, so the Bethlehem and Judah are connected. You could see that from the NIV. Now, the NIV could help you a bit more with that language. What is that when it says, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times? So, when you read the King James Version, it makes it very spectacular. Go to the King James Version. King James. Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So what he was trying to say here is that the existence of this ruler has been from old. Which means that this ruler that is going to come will not just manifest. He would have been somebody who is, is coming from the old. Which means that if we are to identify this Messiah, we should be able to identify him from the old. The word going forth in the Hebrew actually means appearance, which is the Christophanic appearance of Jesus. Which means that in the Old Testament, you will find the manifestation of Jesus from ancient time until he appears. So when they read Micah, they understood that it will not just be Jesus just showing up in Jerusalem and say, but today this scripture is fulfilled. They say, relax. Micah said, the ruler, his going forth would have been 
from of old, from everlasting. Now you must understand that they themselves did not understand what they were talking about, so they prophesied. It looked like a parable. But this is talking about Christ. Okay, so let's go. Uh, verse 3. Verse 3. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. So what do you think this, this talks about? This simply says, the one who we're talking about, who's going forth is like the time of old, was going to come through natural birth. Right? Right? This one will be born through the labor pains of a woman. This will be normal human birth. This will be normal human birth. Now, if you go down, right? Go to verse, verse 5, verse 1. This one will be our peace. Then it talks about when Assyrians invade the land and when all of those things happen. Now, because of the context of what they were going through, they also thought this prophecy was about delivering them from their natural enemies. Meanwhile, right? The spirit in them was using it to signify the Christ. So that is why when Jesus came and he started talking about his death, the disciples didn't want to hear. Because they are saying, listen, all the prophecies point to you. You can't die. You, you have ticked everything. So what they were waiting for was, you know at a point they brought crown. They want to crown him king. They say, come, 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 come. It's like, it's like you don't know who you are. <laughs> they need crown. They, do you understand? They say, come. We can see your potential. You are the Messiah. Now, you know the reason they wanted to crown him king? Because to them, it was a natural redemption. Just as Moses came to Egypt, right, and pulled them out naturally, and they had all those fights, that was their mind. They thought when the Messiah comes, he will liberate them from all the Roman oppressors, right? So, when Jesus died and rose again, and the disciples started talking about, I think, the book of Acts, right? Jesus started talking about preaching things concerning the kingdom, I will go, the Holy Spirit will come, you know, and... <laughs> Alright, when, when, when I was talking to them about that, the, the disciples now ask him. Right? In Acts chapter 1, you know, you know, Jesus went to the cross. He died. Okay? Rose up. They say, hey, thank God, at least. You know, he didn't die. He didn't die permanently. He has risen. Okay, how far? This kingdom matter. Where are you? And that's why you see that the, the, when we talked about servant leadership, right? The mother of Zebedee brought the children and said, when, you, when we come to your kingdom, I want one on your right, one on your left. Because their whole concept was that it was going to be very, a physical manifestation. And you know, believers today still have that. There are a lot of believers right now that will not leave the kingdom, will not walk in the kingdom, will not take the benefits of the kingdom. You know what they are waiting for? You know, most of us are like the Jews, right? For that day. All right? Don't worry. You can be sick now. But a time is coming. A time is coming. There will be no more tears. That resurrection morning. So, be sick until resurrection morning. Be poor until resurrection morning. You know, when we think about Jesus, eh? he's always in the future. Right? 
It's the same battle God has with us today. We, 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 we just like... So, when they talk of heaven, your mind is house. Say, don't worry. You are insulting me now. God is building my mansion. So, in your mind, on the last day, say, Harry! Check, check your sins. Okay. You made it. Who has a key? Who has a key? Give me a key. Who's got a key here? Quickly. Give me any key. Don't worry. Uh-huh. Tony. <laughs> Just stay there. I'm sure you make everyone. Stay there. So in our mind, right? All the bunch of keys are there. Hmm? Angel just holding. Like camp meeting. Say, Tony Banigo. Say, you made everyone. Room what? Say, ah, he was a very faithful watcher. Say, ah. Ah, no, that BQ will be too small. Give him from uh, <laughs> Akure Avenue. Give him a big house. Then Tony now comes. Tony, come now. You don't want to go to heaven. <laughs> you now go. You now say go to Akure. Now, you, you, you see, you see, you see that now. Do you realize that Jesus entered into a house that was locked? Because resurrection, Jesus said, touch my body. It's not flesh and blood. It is flesh and bones. Which means that if you can walk through a wall to get into a house, a house cannot be your reward. Let me leave it there. Because you won't need it. Because if you can walk through a wall by the resurrected body, which is not flesh and blood, Jesus identified that it's flesh and bone, you can tell them, God, hold your key, point the place, I'm going. I mean, you, you, do you understand what I'm saying? You say, where, you see a Korean faithful people are saying, and you just walk and you enter. Do you understand? So when you read the scripture, it says, the house of David. Huh? This person's father's house. It never referred to a building. It referred to a family. Are you following this? Take this and go and read John 14 again. Then you understand it. So when Jesus said, I was going to prepare a way for you. And where I am, you'll be also... He was just saying that by my death, burial, and resurrection, you will now be able to come to the Father's family just as I am in the Father's family. That is what Jesus prepared. He's not looking for bag of cement. Do you understand this? Alright. Acts chapter 1. The first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To this he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. Appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together I commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. But to wait for what the father had promised. Which he said you heard of from me. For John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together they were asking him saying. This is what I want you to pay attention to. He says Lord is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them it is not for you to know times or epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power. 
So you see the question in your mind again. Say, okay, this one you are saying we should wait. Is it now that you are going to actually do what? Restore the kingdom again? They were still thinking in the sense of that physical restoration. Let me tell you this. The greatest thing that God has done for you as you are seated here today is the fact that he gave you the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest thing. The whole work of God from Genesis till Jesus died was to make your body conducive to receive the Holy Spirit. God dwelt in tents, dwelt in the ark. But you know what? He wanted to have a man he could fellowship with in the garden, in the cool of the evening, just as he fellowshiped with Adam. He wanted to have that fellowship. So what did he do? All the work of Christ is to make you the temple of the living God. So that God can live in you and dwell in you and have that same fellowship that he has always wanted to have with Adam. That's the big thing. That's the grand plan of redemption. Are you following what I'm saying? So as you study the word, you get to know God. You fellowship with him. So you see, all the Bible is the grand plan of redemption. And this makes an interesting study. It makes the word of God come alive. It makes you see that God is detailed. It makes you see that God is precise. Praise the name of the Lord. Are you blessed this evening? Alright, let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you cause this word to dwell in our hearts. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Alright, let's, let's receive our offerings and um, let's give to the Lord. I think next Wednesday is our Zona Fellowship, right? Okay. So, ensure. Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email info at pastormax.ng or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.